Good morning, everyone. How are you? Good, good. I hope you're well. Um, Pastor Brandon, um, happy to be with you all this morning. I'm honored to be able to to speak with you and uh, share with our church family, um, really on what is in my role, um, one of my passions in, in ministry, and, and that is to help um, build um, deep and strong families of faith. Amen. Right here at Living Word, um, Brittany and I, um, our parents, uh, we've got three three kids ourselves. Ethan is 13. Um, Riley is 10, and Reagan is eight, going on diva. Um, uh, <laughs> if you know her, you know what I mean. Um, uh, Ethan, Ethan was a toddler and um, really finding his voice. And um, we, t- we took him one year to look at Christmas lights um, around in where we were living in Missouri at the time. And a beautiful yard, you know, the, the newspaper came out with like the 10 top yards, you know, to see Christmas lights around town. So we went, we looked. Uh, this house, this one house with beautiful lights everywhere, every color, and a beautiful manger scene, you know, right in the middle of the yard, Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. And so we're looking, we're, we're checking it out. And Ethan from the back seat, looking at baby Jesus goes, Santa! And I'm like, okay, parent fail. We, we need him to know the difference between Santa and, right, baby Jesus. So, um, our, another time, our, our youngest Reagan, um, who I told you was, was diva and, and is into everything. Anybody have a kid that was just into everything, like could not keep their hands right off of everything. Um, I get a, I was at worship practice, practice actually the church I was at, I was on the worship team and I get a, an urgent message from Brittany to stop by the store on the way home and get acetone. Well, you know what acetone is for, right? Removing nail polish. I go, oh, I said right away, what did Reagan do? <laughs> okay, so um, Reagan, while Brittany was on a, a business call, um, had gone and very methodically removed like five um, tops from nail polish and had taken them in her hands and just done this. We, we were renting a home and, and she, white carpet, okay? She'd just taken it. And, and of course, the questions of why with a toddler mean nothing. But she goes, I liked all the colors, mommy. <laughs> you know? Okay. All right. So listen, um, she constantly tested our patience. And, and of course, we sometimes lost patience, right? Parenting is, is not easy. Um, uh, when I, when I was interviewed, um, for the role of family pastor back in July 2017, coming on four years. It's crazy. I um, can't believe it's been that long. But I, I was tasked with the responsibility of partnering with parents and families to help disciple their kids, disciple their families, growing in the knowledge and understanding of the Lord. Um, it's no secret, then, that, that parenting in, in our world today is tough. They're, they're adding, they're, our, our culture is adding the complications to, to what parenting, what was already a difficult thing, right? I want, I want to start off this morning as we get, as we get into a very tough conversation. I want, I do want you to know this morning, um, we, um, parents, we will be dealing with some, some sensitive issues regarding, um, sexuality. And so I want you to know, um, of course, from a biblical perspective, but I want you to know, parents, if, if you, maybe you're not comfortable with um, kids in the service this morning, I want to leave that to you to make those decisions. Um, so I, I thank you for your grace and understanding along, along those lines. This morning is going to be super practical, and I hope that's okay. But, but, but 
church, I think there's times when, when an issue becomes so complicated that if we don't have a conversation from a biblical perspective, right, then the culture is leading that conversation, right, instead of the gospel speaking truth to a situation. And so this morning's message will not leave you with warm and fuzzies. I'm just going to tell you, okay, but, but I want you to know that, that we, we're going to have this conversation um, centered on truth. I, I was um, honored to take a, a bunch of teens yesterday to, to Buffalo to our youth convention that we do every year. And it's usually one statewide event. This year it was kind of separated regionally. And um, the, the had a great opportunity um, along with my wife to to uh, lead a, a panel on on mental health, and we talked about the extreme pressures uh, of mental health during this past year and a half, right? And the statistics given of of people who have admitted to struggling with mental health is through the roof, and and many of you are aware, uh, mental health co- counselors are booked for months out in advance. You can't often you can't get in to see somebody because they're so jam packed with requests and, and, and their offices can't handle the need. That is where, um, as a, as a culture, we have been through this, through this season, but we had that conversation yesterday with our teens and I was so glad and so honored to be a part of that. I hope that it was helpful to, to people that are there. The church, what I'm getting at, the church has got to have difficult conversations. And this morning is going to be, is going to be one of those difficult, but so important. It's my desire today that the that the that the um, message be seasoned with hope. Um, that's really my desire for each of us, whether whether we have kids or grandkids or not, that we can see and celebrate God's plan for our families. Amen. And that we can see three main points. My first being this morning that God ordained the structure of the family. God ordained the family structure. From the first pages of the Bible, we see a structure um, being created and ordained. The word ordained meaning to order something officially. God ordered the family officially, the structure. In Genesis 2, after God had created Adam, many of you know the stories. He said down in verse 20, But for Adam no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, many of you know this, that this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of the man. And here's the commissioning part now of, of the family. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Back in chapter 1, verse 28, we read the ever-famous call to have lots of kids, right? God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and, and increase in number, fill the earth. Other translations there, of course, say be fruitful and multiply. Church, the created order of family was to increase around the creation, to, to bear offspring, to love and enjoy family. Family was the was ordained by God as the structure the, the created um, the, the Bible also gives direction then about um, moving further, guiding and, and correcting our, our children, and, and to love um, and, and to love them in a way that we train them in righteousness, um, with a wealth of wisdom, um, especially in the book of Proverbs. I, I want you to check that out, parents, if you're looking for just some good um, knowledge on, on on parenting and family. A lot of wisdom in the book of Proverbs, right at the beginning of the book. Proverbs 1, verse 8. 
Um, it says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. There are garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. Um, parents, if you could use some, some strong, solid uh, biblical reminders. Uh, like I said, read through the book of Proverbs. There's a lot there in reference to children, mothers, fathers, that the necessity of, of parents' discipline even and steering our children in the way they should go. If there's something that becomes, I think, obvious as children um, grow, um, it's that um, that having a lack of boundaries for them can actually cause harm. Do you, do you know that? Wise and safe boundaries, then, followed by consistent and graceful correction, provide guardrails. I think that actually give our kids a sense of security. They know what to expect from mom and dad, right? Those guardrail guardrails of discipline are there. And then the tough part, we know that as parents, we can do the best job we feel like we could have done. And at the end of the day, our children still grow up to be adults with free wills, right? They'll grow up, be adults, make their own decisions, and some of which will go against what we feel like we've instilled in them. And at that point, we get to our knees and we pray. We ask God to speak to their hearts and reveal things in him that in them that only he can. Parents, but while we have our kids in our home, I believe scripture has a high calling for moms and dads, grandparents, aunts and uncles, families to help um, shape and guide our kids through love, grace and correction. Church, some of the most difficult challenges that parents are facing today uh, faced ever um, are currently involve the ever-growing issue of sexual identity. We simply cannot shy away from these issues. We can't. The church must be involved in these conversa- conversation in spite of the discomfort of them. As I said, if culture is guiding this conversation, then what do we fall back on biblically if the cultural message is all that we've heard, is all that we know? The reality, church, if you don't know, if um, you're not aware, there are families at Living Word dealing with this issue right now. A couple of significant stats for you regarding our kids and the over-sexualization, and some of these are going to be distressing. A study by online content monitoring um, website Bark.com found that 70% of preteens encountered sexual content in 2020. 70% of preteen preteens encountered sexual content online in 2020. The age of, of first exposure to pornography is dropping to, 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 uh, it's, it's today the first, um, the first exposure to pornography in, is often seven years old. Seven. On the topic of transgenderism, a recent peer reviewed study found a 5,000% increase within the last 10 years in the rate of gender confusion or gender dysphoria among young and teenage girls and adolescents specifically. 5,000% increase. Before I delve into the subject more, um, we're going to speak on transgenderism uh, this morning, on gen- gender identity. I want to highlight um, a, a professional from actually right here at Living Word um, who's going to speak um, on this issue. I asked, I asked two um, mental health um, professionals right here from our church family to give us some wisdom on a tough, tough issue. And so um, join me. Let's watch our first video this morning from Brian. 
Good morning, Living Word. My name is Brian Decker. I am a licensed mental health counselor in the state of New York. And um, I've been working in the behavioral health field for over 10 years. And during my time, I've served in several different roles, ranging from counselor to uh, director of programs. And um, I've also worked in various locations throughout New York State. Um, currently, I find myself operating a private practice right here, local in Ontario, New York. And uh, I'm also um, working as a primary therapist for a fully integrated outpatient clinic uh, based in the Rochester area. I wanted to have a conversation today about a hot button issue, especially when we view that issue in the context of the church. That issue is gender dysphoria. If you're not familiar with that term, uh, gender dysphoria describes a condition in which one's emotional and psychological identity differ from their biology and biological makeup. So for instance, a biological male or female may choose to identify as the opposite or neither based off of what they feel they are emotionally or psychologically. Now, I understand that this is a very difficult concept to wrap your mind around, but for the individual who's experiencing this dysphoria, it is very real and very distressing. There are several mental health implications associated with the condition, anxiety, depression, substance use as a result, just to name a few. Uh, when we encounter somebody who presents with this issue as the church body, we should be asking the question, what is this person looking for? It is belonging and acceptance and community. When we seek to understand gender dysphoria as a condition, we see not only that there's a notable difference between what the patient sees themselves as uh, and their classified gender assignment based off of their biology. There's also a profound need for other people to see them as the gender that they assign themselves. They may feel like they are not accepted as their biological gender since they may go against the grain when compared to stereotypical gender roles. There's a deep desire to transform into another gender. Now this, this is a very lonely place to be. Unfortunately, there is a lie that is told by mainstream society that if you feel like you do not belong in your gender role, you don't have to be part of it. Happiness is achieved through re-identifying yourself and accepting yourself after all. Now, this is problematic. And while well-meaning, it can do more damage than actual good. And you see this by continued mental health issues within this population. Even if you identify differently than what your biology dictates, 
in effort to be accepted and loved, you are never truly loved for who you are. Timothy Keller puts it like this, and I love Timothy Keller. To be fully loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty that life can throw at us. Now, this is the antidote. This is what people are searching for, the acceptance and belonging and community can only exist through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Good stuff there. Um, what, what incredible wisdom from Brian. I so appreciate his willingness to share there. If, if you're a family member um, looking for of support and resources from um, a, a biblically-based counselor like like Brian, uh, please reach out to church family, and we'd we'd be happy to to connect you on with Brian and his 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 uh, what he has to offer. Um, and I'm going to show here in a little bit yet another uh, uh, awesome uh, member here at Living Word, and she's going to share a little bit more wisdom with us. And uh, before we get there, diving a little deeper um, on this issue, Wall Street Journal writer and book author. Um, Abigail Schreier noted in her book, Irreversible Damage, that in previous decades, gender dysphoria was something typically experienced by younger boys, but almost always, and this is the key, resolved itself without intervention. But this phenomena of rapid onset gender dysphoria, as it's being called, among young girls primarily, um, it's, it's surprising because it comes about so quickly, hence the phrase rapid onset, with almost no um, background or warning, so to speak. With this gender dysphoria, then come demands from culture to recognize this person as they feel, not, as Brian said, they were created biologically. And sometimes the pressure is applied even further to, to perform in medical intervention, including hormone therapy and even surgical intervention to remove and change sexual anatomy of children. God help us. What are we doing? In Canada and other places across the West, and it's beginning even in in the States, parents who refuse to go along with these medical interventions and refuse to use pronouns of gender-confused children are being jailed, fined. A teacher this past couple weeks I saw in Ohio lost his job because he refused to, um, maybe Virginia, I don't remember the state, refused to use pronouns of a a gender-confused child. Maybe the obvious question, why? How did we get here? Those are two big questions to fully answer in in one morning. But um, I I think along with understanding the biblical realities of of who God is and who he made us to be, uh, we we need to look at some of these day-to-day challenges that we're facing and, and to begin to see how we can help um, what are, why are some children questioning something so early, things which seem so basic, uh, like, like gender? And that, that brings me to a second interview this morning, um, from, from Mrs. Amy Thomas. 
Um, Amy has um, a, an office again here regionally and has some great, great practical tips, I think, for us this morning on, on how to uh, address and be aware of some of these things that might be happening that may, may lead to these types of challenges. So now check out Amy Thomas. Good morning, Living Word. My name is Amy Thomas. I've been attending Living Word for about six months with my husband, Jeff. I have three grown children, two grandchildren, and when I'm not with my family, I am a licensed therapist in New York, working primarily with children, adolescents, and young adults. Many of the families that come to me uh, come because their child is experiencing either anxiety, depression, uh, OCD, tick disorders, selective mutism, PTSD, and actually many more. And so I specialize in working with children that are having high intensity levels of anxiety. One of the things that we always want to look for when we're assessing a child is whether there is any past trauma. Parents so many times are confused because they're coming to me with a child that has extreme levels of anxiety and they cannot figure out why. One of the things that we look for is the history as well as an assessment in our office so that we can watch the child and see if there's anything that's noticeable that could give us a clue that maybe there's some past trauma in their life. Trauma can also cause depression for children and adolescents. Many times this has to do with their lack of ability to effectively communicate what has happened to them, how they're feeling, what's going on in their body. Sometimes emotions come out through body sensations and other times they'll come out through nonverbal language or verbal language, but a child isn't always able to express this. So in addition to the anxiety, we might see depression and we might see them beginning to act different than they used to act. And that can look in various ways, which we'll cover in a few minutes. But trauma also is categorized kind of in three different areas. We call it the big T, the little T trauma, and relational trauma. Big T traumas are the ones that we think of the most. We're thinking of the child or adolescent that was involved in a sexual assault or a school shooting, perhaps a national disaster, or another type of event that was just a one-time event. Those children generally are watched. They receive some counseling in hopes that that will allow them to process it effectively and they will not have any issues as we move forward. However, sometimes we do see issues For example, if a child is in a house fire and they're now at a campground and they smell the smoke, that can trigger their brain to feel like they're right back into the trauma again. These are the kind of things we look out for when we're helping a child move past the traumatic experience. So big T traumas are the ones that we think about the most, but we also want to think about ones that are not as acute as those, which would be more of chronic trauma that we would see in situations like a global pandemic, like we've just been through and we're finishing up with, hopefully. These are situations where the child is exposed for a long period of time through the traumatic situation and, again, feels helpless and can't get out. It also would be bullying or cyberbullying that continues for long periods of time. These would be another example of big T trauma. However, they happened over a period of time instead of one incident. Again, we want to watch for that child to be able to find out exactly what happened and help their nervous system to be desensitized from what has happened to them. 
Little T traumas are generally less obvious to a parent or grown-up. They include situations such as a friendship breakup where a close friend is no longer wanting to be friends with them. A little T one can also be something like a parent separation just for a short time and they come back together again. I should have mentioned big T divorce is usually a big T for a child. Little T also might be um, family financial issues or a family break where one side of the family is no longer talking to another side of the family. So these are less obvious that they might be traumatic for a child, but they very much impact them. Again, they might feel like they've lost some control. They might have some fear around it, some anxiety, some extreme sadness. And it's during those times that we have to be especially alert to those children. Uh, one of the things that generally happens is they kind of get shoved under a rug in that they'll get over it kind of a thing. And sometimes children don't get over those things and they are considered a little T trauma to them. So one of the things we wanna make sure we do as parents, grandparents or caregivers is to pay attention to those and to allow that child to validate their feelings, allow them to be able to say what's bothering them. Many times these little T traumas can pair together with other issues in their life and they become mental disorders such as clinical depression or a generalized anxiety disorder. Those kind of things become much more serious. They can have eating disorders. Uh, there could be gender identity confusion, those types of things. And that can happen from past sexual abuse and then some other anxieties that pile on top of it. So many times these kids that are confused in this way are trying to process past trauma and they have no way of doing so. So instead they begin to compensate and figure out maybe what might feel better for them at that time. So if you notice a child in your life that's struggling with panic attacks or having a really difficult time focusing, perhaps they're showing more confusion or just disorientation to what's going on around them. Maybe they are triggering and they're getting like having little aggressive bursts, things such as that. Maybe they're just spending more time in the room alone. Things such as that we really want to pay attention to. And what can we do as adults in their lives? What we can do is make sure we sit down and have some quiet time with our kids in a way that it leaves a space, a gap for them to talk to us. Leave that space so that we're not always talking at them. Allow them to be able to share what's going on. And when they open up, we want to be sure that we validate what we're hearing. We don't need to give any information. We can simply say, I hear what you're saying, and I'm so glad you felt comfortable to tell me. Is there anything I can do? That's one of the most helpful things that you can say to a child, just to listen, validate, and then offer anything that you might be able to do for them to make things a little bit better. And finally, Tell them that there's people outside the family that can listen, that they're trained to listen, and they might be able to help them and see if maybe talking to someone outside the family will give them relief from potentially a past trauma in their life. 
a lot of great uh, practical advice for parents there. I hope that um, th- both those interviews have been helpful for you. A- again, if your family or, or someone you know are struggling and could use some um, some help, um, please reach out to to Living Word, and we'd be we'd be glad to connect you on to either Amy or or Brian. Um, as we continue this morning on a heavy topic, there's another area I want to be real intentional about this morning, and and it, it, because it's an area that um, author Schreier and others um, speaking on this on these subjects make a direct correlation between social media influence and our young women and men, and and because of because of that, uh, or they're making this connection because. Because as the fastest and most unrelenting arbiter of our culture's dogmas, social media sends its version of truth to us at lightning speed. And while adults can, can more readily discern um, truth from fiction, our kids are left translating messages, often with sexual nature, that they are forming then their identities and sexuality from these mixed messages, often disregarding um, biblical sexuality and identity. Many of these young men and women whose bodies are already supercharged with incoming hormones and natural stages, right, of social awkwardness and, and trying to figure out themselves and, and their changing anatomies, they're then thrust into a community through social media where they find a group of people they've never met but that are, are incredibly affirming and welcoming of every whim they may have. When and if students begin to question anything of their identity, it is almost always then communicated to them that they must be this or they must be that. And that identity is then affirmed and affirmed and affirmed. Sounds a little like cultural brainwashing to me. <laughs> While we're usually church about, very cautious about recommending a one-size-fits-all to, to any area, um, but, but especially parenting, um, I agree with Shreya and others that have come to the conclusion that, that the increasing risk of social media make, have made it a place that is no longer safe for our kids. Brittany and I have um, des- decided for ourselves um, our kids will not be on social media. Um, it, it gets to the point, church, where drawing a hard line in the sand is necessary, right? Um if your kids have social media and maybe you're not just sure you're, you're ready to cut it, <laughs> I, I, I want to stress the importance of monitoring softwares like Bark.com and others. I mean, if you have any questions about some of the resources I've mentioned too this morning, please reach out. I'd be, be happy to share that again. Um, Bark.com monitors social media sites and websites like YouTube and others and looking for um, things that might be of a concern to parents. And then um, parents have the complete control to monitor and double-check content and that type of things. Um, Parents, grandparents, if you haven't yet, and to be uh, really aware of of what kind of issue this is, um, play one of the games that your kids plays on your phones or tablets. Watch the ads. It's going to shock you. There are inappropriate ads that pop up on children's games. I've seen them, and it makes me so mad. In his highly popular book, Thriving in Babylon, which, by the way, I highly recommend. We've talked about it often here. Um, Pastor Larry Osborne and other teachers make the point that pagan cultures create sexual confusion. You see what ha- what's happening in our culture today? It's creating 
sexual confusion. They will try to rename our kids to make us something other than what God created them to be. Look at the Babylonians. Our, our current culture, by the way, is still dropping a hat to what was happening with the Babylonians, right? Um, th- but they tried to rename Daniel and some of the other exiled Jews. They tried to rename them. Daniel's name, we've mentioned this before, which in Hebrew means God is my judge, um, was changed by the Babylonian cultures, listen to, listen to this, to a feminine name, meaning lady protect the king. They gave Daniel a, a lady's name. And tried to change his allegiance right to the false god of the Babylonians. Daniel, um, so they tried to change who he was. But to our second point this morning, of course we know though that God establishes our personal identity in him. Amen. Our identity is already established. Daniel was so sure of who God had made him to be and had called him to that even in the, uh, in the oppressive and ungodly culture that Babylon was, Daniel was steadfast in his resolve. In Daniel chapter 2, under pressure of execution, Daniel and some of the other Jewish exiles plead to God for an answer to the mystery of the dream the king had had. He'd threatened to kill all the wise men of, of Israel, right? Because nobody could interpret his dream. So they prayed, Lord, give us the answer to this dream. And God graciously provides the interpretation. Daniel 2.20. Listen to the Daniel and his love for God. Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He sets up kings and deposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells in him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. Church Daniel was cool under this pressure. Right from the king, he knew because he knew his provider. He his complete trust was in the Lord. Later in the book of Daniel, the three Jewish exiles we know them better as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are about to be thrown. Those were their Babylonian names, by the way. They were about to be thrown into the fiery furnace, and they further show their trust in their Creator and who He had made them to be. When they announce, listen to this, Daniel um, chapter three: If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and He will rescue us from your hand, O King. And I love this part, but even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. The men were confident in their creator and who he had made them to be. And even in the worst of suffering, they couldn't waver. They didn't. Church, as I prepared for this morning and watched interviews and and read and and listened to podcasts and articles, um, I was reminded this morning that not everyone has been personally impacted, of course, here this morning by this issue. Um, some of you with grown children or others, um, single adults, may, may, feel not, may not feel a personal connection to this issue this morning. But, but, but this issue and any other is like it is a fantastic reminder um, to the church of an eternal truth that we can unite under this morning, and that is this. And my last point, God redeems our story. Amen? He can redeem our past, regardless of what that might look like. As a worship team comes um, to close us this morning, I, I shared with our youth in, in youth group this past week uh, a fantastic story about a, a young a young man named Kyle. He was um, actually leading worship on on his worship team, leading worship, but unfortunately, he was also living a double life. See, Kyle was um, uh, was doing hard drugs in the background. 
sleeping with his girlfriend, stealing from local stores. He got caught one time and was arrested and ended up in jail. And in jail, um, Kyle realized how fast and hard he was running from God. You may be here this morning, and maybe you've been running. Maybe you've got someone in your family, a, 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 a child that's running from the Lord. Maybe you're listening online with us this morning, and you've been so hurt by, by past situations, you're unsure how God could use you, could, could redeem you. But see, after Kyle had been arrested, leaders from his youth group came, took him out to lunch, sat with him, talked with him, loved on him, and, and challenged him of his need to completely surrender his life to Christ. We need, we need a move of God, of, of people surrendering their life fully to Christ. Amen. And of all these dark places, I, I believe God wants us, God wants us to know and remember this morning that our absolute identity and purpose is, is found in God and, and that it's fulfilled in him. In a relationship with God through Christ, not only can we find true rest, um, but as Brian mentioned this morning, we, we are fully known and fully loved. God knows those dark places that we hide. He knows the double life that we might live, and yet he loves us fully. If you've got someone in your family dealing with these issues that we discussed this morning, um, Pastor and I uh, will be available after after we close here today. If you just need prayer, we would love to pray with you. And whatever's going on, parents, if there's something else going on and you just need some some prayer and support this morning, we'd be we would love to do that with you. Um, church, God cares so much about your family. God wants to see um, your family um, honor honor Him and live in obedience to Him. If we can. If we can support you in any way, if we can help provide resources, please reach out. Um, I am, Pastor, more than happy to help do that. Let's close this morning. Um, let's stand together and worship and remember the reality of who God is and the grace that he has for each of us. Let's worship together.